0: I think it is somewhat of a modern danger that when we hear any given scripture passage, we are tempted, although piously tempted, but tempted nonetheless to spiritualize it and assume that it's not in any way offensive. We have this tendency, I think, to think that, well, we're good Christians and good Christians don't talk about Things openly like men being stabbed in the head with tent stakes, or prophets having to cook food over dung, or Jesus constantly rebuking both his own disciples, even calling Peter Satan one time, or rebuking the Pharisees, telling them they are of their father, the devil. We tend to prefer verses generally speaking, that you might find plastered on the wall decor when you walk around Hobby Lobby. Unfortunately for our sensitivities, the Bible is a little more brutal than you might think. Paul tells the Corinthians in the first chapter of his first letter to them. And do keep in mind, Paul does know the Corinthians the best out of all the churches. He writes to, but he tells them, look at yourselves. Consider your calling, brother. Not many of you were wise according to human flesh. Not many were mighty. Not many were noble. That is coming from noble families. The word noble has to do with the genetics or the heritage, the family of the people. He might as well have said to them, he said it in a little bit euphemistic, a little bit of a nice way, but he might as well have said to them, well, look, guys, look at yourselves. You're not the brightest crayons in the box. You're not the sharpest tools in the shed. You don't have that high of IQs, and uh, if we had to go into battle, we'd probably be ashamed to ourselves. We're not that strong. We're looking kind of... Soft these days, and by the way, you're all kind of homeless looking too. Doesn't look like you came from any kind of good family. Maybe you leave the door open, you were born in a barn, something like that. He's brutally honest with them. He basically calls them foolish and weak and ignoble. That is, not having a family. And he clarifies that that's what he's saying because when he goes on to say that God used the foolish and used the weak and used the base, that is another word for ignoble or not having a family there, he says exactly what he's talking about. He is brutally honest with the Corinthians. And I think that's good. I think it's good for the Corinthians, but I also think it's good for us. Maybe it's not nice. Maybe it's not the kind of verse you would find on the wall decor at Hobby Lobby. But I think it is good for us to hear that if we are honest with ourselves, if we truly look around us in the congregation and at the Christian church at large, Not many of us are incredibly wise. Not many of us are incredibly mighty, and not many of us come from very noble families where everyone knows the last name when they hear it. Now, certainly there are some Christians, some places that are exceptionally wise and exceptionally strong and exceptionally noble or royal, coming from amazing, rich, wealthy, and famous families, certainly there are those Christians that exist. That's why Paul says, not many of you, because maybe there are some. But his one of his points here is that, by definition, the masses of people are not those things. By by definition, to be wise means you are on one far end of the bell curve. And that not many people are that way. By definition, to be mighty means, again, you are on the far end of the bell curve. These things are rare among the masses of people. But one of Paul's points here is that Jesus did not come just for A small section of people just for the people who look like they deserve it from the world's perspective, because you take that one small section out of the right side of the bell curve. He came for the masses. And so one thing, the first thing here is that we should be very careful not to value for ourselves what the world values. If you go back and you read the section, two sections prior to this in first Corinthians one, the thing that Paul is talking about is that the Corinthians have become sectarian. That as they have become divisive among themselves because they are looking for themselves, people who are wise and mighty and noble. They are valuing the people of the Corinthians who have these so-called attributes that they think will help them grow, help them be famous, help them have a successful church, help them have a successful city. And Paul has to come to them and say to them, who is wise among you, who is mighty among you, who is noble among you? Don't worry about it. We preach Christ crucified. And Christ crucified, it looks like foolishness to the world. But it's actually what matters. And that's what he's continuing on here, too. And so if you think yourself any of these things or if you start to value these things in the church, if you start to think, well, if only we have the brightest and the best people, if we have all the right answers to the political problems of this world or maybe if we start to think well it's okay because we're lutheran so we have all the right answers to doctrine and to theology or if you think you are powerful to handle anything that comes at you because of your physical strength or because of your wealth or because of your mental strength or if you think that your respectedness Your nobleness, your royalty, the fact that you come from a good family or the fact that your family and your name is respected in the community. If you start to think that those things are what matters for the church and for your faith. Then you are mistaken. Notice one of the problems, perhaps the main problem with those things If you're looking for salvation or looking for hope and truth and goodness in the church. Is that those things are all passing. When it comes to knowledge. Think about how soon you could get dementia. And forget the things that you once knew. When it comes to strength, think about how sickness could take that away instantly. When it comes to nobility, think about how one bad investment or one rumor could bring it all to naught. And so what matters? And how did Jesus come? This is what Paul goes on to say, is that if you think being foolish and you think being weak and you think being Ignoble, or let's say homeless without a family, is so bad. Look at Jesus. What is amazing about Jesus is that he was actually totally off the bell curve, let's say. He was wise more than any man has ever been wise. He has the knowledge of the whole world. The knowledge of the whole universe. He has the knowledge of everything in himself. He is God Almighty. He knows all. He is omniscient. Strong. He created the world. Through him all things were created. Not anything was created that was not made through him. He has the power over the wind and the waves. He has the authority over the heavens and the earth. He is mighty above the mighty. And noble? He comes from the best family you could ever come from. His father is God. He is noble upon noble, royal upon royal, the almighty everlasting king. And yet, he came in humility. He became foolish. He became one who was born in this earth, born into a feeding trough for animals, living humbly as a carpenter's son, and purposefully, no one in their right mind would do this, purposely heading toward his death on the cross journeying day after day into Jerusalem and weak, allowing himself to be arrested, allowing himself to be beaten, allowing himself to be crucified, naked upon a cross for everyone to see and ignoble. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Lamb of God, stricken, smitten, and afflicted, hated by all. Worse than homeless. And this is what Paul says God chose the foolish of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak of the world to shame the things which are mighty. God chose the base, ignoble, homeless things of the world and the things which are despised. God chose the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. And so, Paul says, compare yourself to him. If you think you're so wise, compare yourself to him. If you think you're so strong, compare yourself to him. If you think you're so noble, compare yourself to him. And if you recognize that you are foolish and weak and ignoble, then also compare yourself to him. Because no one can do either thing better than he can. No one can in this flesh that we have corrupted by sin glory in comparison to Christ Jesus in his presence. No one can do it. And so we must humble ourselves. And Jesus' baptism is the perfect image of all of this. John immediately does not get it. He recognizes how wise and strong and noble Jesus is as the Messiah, as the Savior of the world. And when Jesus comes to him, he says, I should be baptized by you. But Jesus doesn't want to save the world in pride. He wants to save the world in humility. And so Jesus says, I want to be baptized by you. I want to become foolish and weak and shameful. And remember how John had been baptizing for the repentance of the forgiveness of sins. And so he had been Baptizing these men and these women and probably these children. He had been baptizing them in these waters and their sins were washed away in these waters. The waters were dirty with sin that day. And Jesus waded right into it. And he took on in himself, baptized in the waters of our baptisms, baptized. Taking into himself our sin, our shame, our foolishness, our weakness, our homelessness, all of it. He took into himself and he says it's fitting. It's fitting to fulfill all righteousness. And in place, baptized in our place, we call this the great exchange. He took his righteousness He took his wisdom, he took his might, and he took his nobility, and he put it back into those waters for you. So that when you are baptized in those waters, you receive his gifts. When you are baptized into those waters, he gives you the things that you can actually boast in. And notice when Paul is talking about this, he says, but of him, you are in baptized into Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God. And then he pauses because he's probably about to say wisdom and might and nobility. But instead, he changes from wisdom to the things that are even more important, even more impressive than wisdom, might, nobility, which fade away. The things he changes to talk about here are the three things which last forever that you get from your baptism. He gave you righteousness, sanctification and redemption. He gave you rightness with God. He gave you the ability that when God looks at you, a poor, miserable sinner, foolish and weak and ignoble, the ability for God to say, that's my son. That's my daughter. I love them. I sent my son to die for them. They will be raised again with me one day. He gave you sanctification. He took the heart of stone out of your flesh and put in a heart of flesh with live, which lives and breathes by the Holy Spirit, loving God, loving your neighbor, seeking to love and, excuse me, fulfill God's statutes and commands. And he gave you redemption. He paid the price for all of your sins. He endured the wrath of God upon the cross that you might have everlasting righteousness and innocence and blessedness, life in him. The things that last forever. So let's be brutally honest with ourselves today, like Paul is brutally honest with the Corinthians. You can't be anything. If God doesn't proclaim you to be something, without him you are a fool. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. It doesn't matter what your IQ is. Without him you cannot be mighty. It doesn't matter what numbers you put up on the bench press or how much money is in your bank account. And without him, it doesn't matter what family you come from or what last name you have. You are homeless and an orphan without him. If you are not part of God's family. But just like the father proclaimed from above that this is my son with whom I am well pleased, listen to him. He proclaimed the same for you at your baptism. He said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Hear me. And you are washed of your sins and you are marked as redeemed and you were proclaimed anointed with the blood of Christ and the spirit descended on you just like it descended on Jesus. And so if you want to glory in anything, if you want to boast in anything, boast in your baptism. I want you to try this on for size. Next time you go out into public and someone gives you a compliment or even if you're with your family and someone compliments you on some problem you solved. Or some solution you came up with for something, or how smart you are, tell them, thank you, I'm baptized into Christ. Or if someone compliments you on how strong you are, or how nice your clothes are, or how it seems like you have your life together, say, yeah, I'm mighty because I'm baptized into Christ. Or if someone tells you, That you have a great family and you come from a great family. Tell them, yeah, that's great, but I'm baptized into Christ. Because that's the only thing that matters at the end of the day. And if you want the glory in something, glory in this, you have redemption. You have sanctification and you have righteousness in the baptism of Jesus Christ. To him be all the honor and glory now and forever. Amen. Amen.